IT Pro TV, an easy, entertaining approach to online IT training. Access over 2,000 hours of up-to-date, high-quality video content live and on demand via your PC, mobile device, and more. For a free 7-day trial and 30% off the lifetime of your account, visit itpro.tv forward slash startup security and use the code SS30. Do you have a website, an external presence, employees, an office? Any of these things can be compromised and attacked. How are you defending these assets? Have you penetration tested these public assets? Start 2017 by taking a proactive approach to securing your vulnerable areas. Black Hills Information Security has been helping companies find their weaknesses since 2008. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com and see how they can help you sleep better at night. Welcome back, everyone, to Startup Security Weekly. A couple of quick announcements. IT Pro TV's courses now include Exchange 2016, Wireshark, ECIH, and ECES. IT Pro TV introducing, is introducing a new membership level starting on March 8th. The new standard... I'm hitting the wrong keyboard. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I'm like, why is nothing happening? The new standard membership for IT Pro TV is $57 a month or $570 per year and includes access to on demand the on-demand course library, live chat, and the Q&A forum. The new premium membership, which is $85.70 per month or $857 per year, includes access to all standard membership features, unlimited transcender practice exams, virtual labs, and access to the enterprise portal. Downloadable courses uh, are available with annual, standard, or premium memberships. I think I have one more announcement. Yes, the call for papers is open for B-Sides London, being held on June 7th at the ILEC Conference Center in, well, London, of course. The CFP closes on March 27th, and presenters will be announced on May 1st. Uh, they're also looking for presenters for the Rookie Track, mentors for the Rookie Track, and folks to run workshops. Find out more at securitybsides.com.uk. Michael, I think we're going to talk about just my stories this week. Is that Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a good idea. You, well, you know what it is, Mike? You add so many fabulous stories, and then we're covering <laughs> all those other people. I'm like, I was I, just giving you a hard time, dude. The show I, would be like four hours. I got to tell you, me doing the stories is cathartic. Like, I enjoy it. And uh, this was a week, I got to tell you, and this is one of the things that I love. Like, you look for things that start to change or, or help you understand you're on the right track. Uh, this was a week where. Uh, we got listener feedback, so we'll start with that in a minute. And then uh, two of the stories actually came from a previous guest and, and like probably one of our b- biggest fans. And it's like, yes, I mean, this, because that means that we're hitting on the stuff that people want to hear about. And and you know, because there's so much to cover in the in the world of startups. I mean, I actually started thinking about this week ways to better visualize security, uh, but not not on a network like. What's our ecosystem look like, and and from whose perspective, and how do we start to calibrate that? And I started looking at it from a startup perspective, partly because I think that 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 helps me as a business. Paul, I, in fact, I've got to share it with you. I've got like three iterations now, and every time it changes just a little bit. And so having people send us stuff to talk about is awesome. And um, yeah, and the, the other thing I've started to do too is is I spend a little more time with the stories now before I select them, so I make sure that we're we're doing things that I am listening to the startups that I'm working with struggle with or that I'm listening to the enterprises that I'm working with struggle with. And I can either see the parallels between the two or uh, a lot of the startups want to work in enterprises and a lot of the enterprises want to work with startups 
I think anything we can do that eases that pathway is good. But let me tell you, it was fun. So uh, Philip Comer, um, I'm fortunate that I, I've, I've known him for years. And if you you guys have to know each other because you, you both like uh, the dark liquors and uh, and cigars. And so uh, Sounds like we he need to said, hang out. Yeah, it's so if you guys don't know each other, I'm gonna make sure you guys get together. But uh, and I can't remember you and I. Uh, we obviously do a lot of shows together. We have a lot of good conversations. I don't remember which show we were on, but we were talking about firewalls and if firewalls go away or not. And I made some comment about, well, yeah, but the function doesn't go away. We just so and my point in that to be more succinct was there are things that we know today that we would consider to be important. They're not going to go away, except for they are. So what remains is the functionality. And, and that's the key, is that we have to start to translate what we know into a function so other people understand it. And Philip sent me a note. He goes, hey, I was just listening to you. And you're right. Here's, and so he, here's what he wrote. Uh, I was trying to think about a future with no firewalls. And, and, I, you know, and you said, will they go away? Probably. Will there be something simpler? Very likely. Will it be called a firewall? No. He said, my first thought was the cable modem. Is it a modem at all? Not even remotely. Does it do something similar? Yeah. Should we call it a modem? No. And he said, that's one of my pet peeves. But is it still called a modem? Yeah. By the way, I'm going to add, show me the cable modem today that doesn't also have a firewall built into it, that doesn't also have a wireless router built into it, that doesn't also have... So what's interesting is, it, it, I thought it was, good. it was a good point. So then, of course, I wrote back. I said, hey, cool. Which show was that? He's like, yeah, dude, I don't know. <laughs> it was one of the shows uh. you and Paul were talking so I I, uh, I told Philip that I would throw it on one of the episodes whenever you and I last talked, and uh, I wasn't able to make it last night, which maybe was good because uh, you know I didn't have to grind. Oh yeah, not supposed <laughs> no. to anymore. No, uh, well, I, and I I think uh, Philip brings up an interesting point, and I'll, I want to take the perspective from a startup if you're looking to solve this problem. Like, what's the problem? we're trying to solve, as Michael always says, and I think that the home users require access to the internet. They need some kind of protection. And I think we've Phil, learned that. Yeah. yeah. And I think what Philip's saying, like we need to get away from firewall, maybe get away from anti in all of these different labels, antivirus, anti-spam, and provide the end user with an easy way to give them assurances that someone is uh, or multiple attackers are not trying to take advantage of them or gain auth- unauthorized access. And I think that the companies that can solve this problem are going to be very successful, right? And how we do that, I think, remains to be seen. I've seen devices that go on the network that help uh, protect people, and I've seen startups uh, do that. And I've seen you know, all kinds of uh, different takes, and I've seen big companies. I think it's Belkin that makes a a security uh, type device for the home. Um, you know, and when we look in the enterprise, I've seen like stuff that can install on your workstation and provide telemetry back to the cloud to help not just from the end user perspective, but looking at traffic and connections. Um, so that's an interesting take. I think the company that, or companies that, that solve this problem are going to be really successful for the end user because the, the market is so large. And I, I truly believe that there's going to be a demand for it. And I think we've already started seeing some of that. But, you know, as our homes get more connected, I think we're going to require those security devices, in my mind, if I make my prediction five, ten years out, right, they're just going to be like table stakes, sort of like they are in the Fortune 5000 that uh, Frank was talking about. Like, a lot of security technologies are just table stakes. You need these to be able to uh, defend your, your network, in essence. 
I, you know, I think you've said it well, and that's actually why I remain optimistic. Maybe it's too because we do this, and, and it, I think it's good to be optimistic, but I think that you're right. It's table stakes, and as we add more connected devices into the home, the way that they interact with each other becomes exceptionally important, and the way that they signal to us that they work. I mean, you and I have been talking about this for the last couple of years. How is the chip updated? How is the software updated? What what does that take? You know, what's interesting, by the way, is that we throw those out as is really easy. Like, oh, that's easy. Then you go talk to people that are actually trying to engineer those, and they say, well, wait a minute. What kind of bandwidth do you have? What kind of location will you be in? How often will you be online? How often is it is it okay for you to not be online? What happens if you come online after? Right? And and you start to realize that's actually not as trivial to solve as we think it is, and so. That's why I get excited about these things, because I think that we will see those types of solutions emerge. In fact, we get to the to the security notes of interest. Uh, there's one dealing with that very issue. And I'm actually curious your take on it. So we'll, we'll get to it uh, as we get there. So the first story of the week. No, no. Uh, Can Tyler, we start? Hold on. Wait. We'll start where you want. Yeah, well, because I, I, I think you're um, the ultimate PowerPoint slide to save hours on your next pitch deck. And when less is more. Certainly, even just reading the titles, you can see how those relate, but they relate to some things that I've been thinking about lately in how you need multiple pitch decks and multiple um, yep. sales decks, and they're somewhat related, but not really. I think you know, yep. certainly the pitch deck is for investors and the sales deck is for customers. There's a lot of overlap there, but that, as we've stated on some of the earlier shows uh, in our history, right, like those are... Very important, and you're never done with either of those, and you're, you're always learning and changing and, and molding and shaping. And, and I've noticed, Michael, that uh, whether it's a pitch or whether it's a sales thing, that I, I need like lots of different tools in my arsenal. And uh, lately, I'm like, I, I don't think I have all the right tools. Like, I really just want a deck that really just hones in on value, right? Because the goal of this conversation with this either investor or this this customer, like I don't want to get into the weeds and anything else but the value that I provide and maybe a little about why we can provide more value than some of the other things you might consider to solve your problem, right? And, and I think having a, a shortened deck that's very to the point like that, maybe it's not even a deck, maybe it's just a, a one or two pager you go through with someone or however you structure it, I'm feeling like that's really important um, in, in different scenarios. Now, there are times when you want to meet with people and take them through all of the details too, and I think you should have that as well. But I think there's some other things in there that, that I feel like I need to create. So, well, I think you're right. So uh, the, the ultimate PowerPoint thing, Carsten uh, Speckman, Carson's been great. He, oh, uh, he's the man. He is like a huge. He's like one of our, our biggest fans of all our shows on the network. Well, and what I love is we we chat. Uh, we've chatted by Twitter. We've chatted by LinkedIn. And so he sent this to me, and he said, "Hey, you guys talk about this a lot. I think you might want to take a look at it." So what? What? I, here's what I like about this. If you guys go check out that link, uh, the idea is it's the ultimate PowerPoint slide to save hours on your next pitch or deck. And if you go through this, I mean, they have spent an enormous amount of time. Uh, looking at this. And so I, I want to tell you why uh, I shared it beyond uh, the opportunity to give a, a shout out to Karsten and thank him for his continued support of us. Um, but, but this is the thing, and it's what you were just talking about. I think it's great to look at how other people do things. I think it's great to use that, right? So if we think about 
communication, there's three basic components. There's the structure, there's the substance, and there's the style. Most people get wrapped up in the style. What I always like to point out is that the right structure will reveal the substance. And that's where we spend a lot of time helping people with straight talk and other things around that. Having a deck that's got all of these things already answered out, I love it because you're getting a little bit of each. You're getting some structure. You're getting to see how somebody else used it to provide and reveal substance. And you're seeing some of their style. Now, maybe the style works for you. Maybe it doesn't. You can approximate that. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. Now, I also went, I checked out the company. So I wanted to be a little careful. And I didn't want to just suggest something I didn't think was great. And it basically said, look, you know, it, it's, I think this is a good lead gen consideration. So the company's called you exec. And it basically says, look, I'm putting together all this stuff. I'm going to give it away for free. Uh, b- by the way, um, you know, if you want to get on the list and you want to know about, you know what? I added free. I'm interpreting it as free. I don't know if it's free. Uh, they might charge for it. But what they basically said was, look, if you want to get on the list, write yes below or connect with me here or do this or this. We'll pay attention to it. Boom, you can have it. So it's kind of like an, it's, a, it's like a really clever way to do social proof. I'm looking at it. It's got 41,000 likes. It's got 78,000 comments. It's got 9,500 shares. And I went to the website. And if you go to uexec.com, it basically says, look, we want you to be better. Like that's that's what we do. Weekly insights to improve your career, to be great at what you do. All right. I dig it. I like it. I like that approach. So I, I like this for a lot of reasons. I think it gives you some structure. I think it gives you some ideas. I think it shows you some style and some stuff that you can do, and that should save you some time. I'm actually about to rebuild my website, and I am scouring for websites that that approximate what I think I'd like to do uh, in terms of what's the hero image look like. I'm going to do something called an upside-down website, and I've, I've reached out to a couple advisors and said, okay, what are the resources? What do I need to think about here? I'm, I'm trying to streamline. What do we need to do? So if you could do that with a PowerPoint deck, I think it's a great idea. And, I, and, and so I like that a lot, and that made sense to me. And Karsten, thank you for, for uh, being so enthusiastic and for doing what you do and, and look forward at some point to being able to meet you. So you want to talk about less is more, Paul? Yeah, let's do that. You know what? Let me make a comment, though, too, because you something else, something else I want to amplify. Yep, you need to have multiple decks. Um, it's interesting because I've, I've come to that realization myself. I, I'm going to say there's another piece because you, you said this. I'm just going to say it slightly differently. It's okay to walk people through the process. You don't need to give them everything all at once. That's probably going to be our setup for less is more. But you know what I've learned is uh, as as I'm talking to somebody, for example, right? And I think I've said this before, but it, but it's it's fascinating how it took me ten years to figure this out. Somebody that you know that's in your database or your contact manager or whatever you want to call it, they're either a contact. Uh, or they're a lead. And the difference between the two is a lead is somebody you don't know anything about. There's nothing, there's no shame in it. You just, you don't know them. They're a contact when they're qualified. What makes them qualified? That you know them. You know what, you know who they are. You know what they do. Maybe you've had a conversation. You have a sense of, of where they're focusing on their, their, and the problems that they're trying to solve. A prospect is somebody that has the problem that you solve in a way that can add value to it and an opportunity is when a prospect is ready to change. They know that their status quo is not acceptable. When you start to realize that, it's, it's, you also realize and you need a different deck for each stage mm-hmm. and, based on where somebody's at. Or to your point, maybe you don't need a deck at all. But then what I've realized is if I'm talking to an enterprise versus a startup, now this is the neat part. The structure is the same. The substance is different. And actually the style changes a little bit yep. from... Yeah, your your audience. I mean, they could be at different stages, but also part of that matrix is there at different levels. There's the more 
management focused folks, right? Business focused folks, and then there's the more technical focused folks in, in our industry, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm yep. not saying for all startups, but uh, the more technical, you know, I think you still want to, from Carson's uh, article he recommended, you still want to have those visuals. Like I was talking about last week, how John had that great visual on how we're, what we're collecting and how we're measuring it and what goals those allows, allow us to achieve. It's great for the more technical or if someone asks about, hey, like, how does your stuff work? Great to have that, you right. know. But then if you're going to a different audience, like maybe you don't use that slide at all, right? Maybe that slide is just covered as a point on a previous slide about how you collect this different uh, data and through that you're able to achieve that goal, right? You don't have to dig into the weeds and keep in mind your audience is it, different. And again, it could be where you feel you are in the stages. And I love your four stages. My, I've always probably just done contact and lead, but I, I like the, the other, what was the other one? It was lead to... Uh, prospect and prospect to opportunity. Yeah. I like that yeah. A lot. And so the way I look at it is, is lead is I don't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. Contact is I know about them. Prospect is they have the problem I solve and, and, and maybe they're evaluating it. Maybe not. That's the key. Right. So the prospect isn't necessarily looking for a thing, but, but they're in that situation and they probably know that they're in that situation. They're an opportunity when they have the problem that you solve and they're looking, they're evaluating, they, they want to solve it, or at least they're exploring if they can solve it. Now, what I've also done is I split prospect into prospect, partner, and promoter. There are some people that have or understand the problem, but frankly, they're, they're not a decision maker or they're not the person who's necessarily going to help with it, but they might help me in the organization. They might help me with other organizations. They believe in what we're doing and they're, they're making introductions and they're helping people and they're invaluable. And if you're watching, you're invaluable. I love you. Thank you. There's also partners and there's people that say, Hey, I like the problem you solve. How do we work together on it? And there's two, I actually have two stages now. I've, I've been learning a lot. I also, uh, not today, but someday uh, when I'm recovered, I'm going to bitch about CRM systems. I didn't, I, I now am starting to appreciate the engineering that it takes, but I'll tell you what, you want to see what it's like if you're in security and you want to see what it's like to, for the people who aren't in security to interact with us, go evaluate like five or six small business CRM systems. And if you don't lose your sanity in the process, you now have a glimpse of what it's like dealing with security people if you don't understand the security the same way that they do. That aside, what I look at now is that if you want to partner with me, there's actually a... Um, there's a series of steps that we work through to our mutual benefit, um, but I'll also still track, you know, who who are the people that are that are good for partnering with. That made a lot of difference for me, and it really helps me start to take a look at it because, you know, if if you're addressable market, we talk about this all the time, uh, you know, with the Shark Tank reference. If if your addressable market is everybody, well, that's nuts. I mean, even today, if you say my addressable market is the Fortune 5000, that's huge. So you got, you know, well, it's the Fortune 500. No, no, stop. Who, you know, like we've got to get better at figuring out our addressable markets. Uh, and I'll use this as a segue because less is more. We've talked about this with so many people that have come on our program already. And it's fascinating because this also works in the enterprise. So if you're listening to this, this applies to just about everything in life. The more narrow your focus, the better you can get at it, the faster you can move. The more you learn, you can always add. You can always add other stuff to it, other disciplines, other services, other stuff. It's all good. So when less is more. So what's interesting is when you dig into this, is uh, and of course it brings up Silicon Valley. So we've had a double mention and we've done Shark Tank. It's a complete episode. It's a complete so episode good. now. Um, but here's the thing. The guy says, you know what? I, 
I probably should have asked for less money. The reason this is really interesting to me is if we start looking at stages of companies, right? Uh, you know, you get your seed round, then you go get your A round. And I'm starting to notice there's an interesting thing that happens. If you're in the security community, but you're not really part of the startup community, you're like, oh man, they made it. And if you go talk to the founders, like you get your A round, how you feeling? They're like, I am going to lose it. I, mm-hmm. and you're like, wait, you just raised, you know, five, eight, 10, 12, $15 million. They're like, do you know what I have to do now? Yeah. And it's interesting because, because when you start looking at it, your culture just changed. The mm-hmm. size of your team just changed. Your engineering went from MVP, proof of concept, get traction to, okay, time to, time to really time operationalize to what you're doing. Sell it at scale, right? I like and, this, yeah. this uh, sentence. It says the best move for many startups is to raise just enough money to achieve key milestones. And I feel like that has parallels back to the sales process, right? You want to present just enough in your sales process to achieve the milestone wherever you're at in your sales process. That's exactly right. right. And, and I think you, there's a lot of parallels people, there. That's exactly, no, Paul, you're exactly, you, you got it. If you try to do too much in a sales call, like, hi, I've just met you and I've got this really big sale and I'd like you to say yes at the end of the, of the 20 mm-hmm. minutes, you're like, uh, what? Like that might take a couple calls in a couple weeks or a couple right. months. By the way, if you're at the point in your sales cycle where you're beyond like three to six months, uh, you need to reevaluate your sales cycle. I, mm-hmm. I I know our industry says, oh, it could take 12 to 18 months. That's too much friction, and that's not good for anybody. But to your point, yeah, if you if you think that you're going to measure your success based on the size of your round, just know the bigger the round. In fact, I, I put a note in our notes. I learned a long time ago with comedy, short jokes are better. Why? They don't have to be as funny, and you're on to the next one. Uh, if you want to do a big wind-up, no, you go talk to the people that do their, their comedy specials and HBO and stuff. They say, look, the, the bigger the setup, you're setting, you're requiring a bigger punchline. So the corollary is if you can't deliver that big punchline, scrap the joke or go with something simpler. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you, once you know that and you start watching comedy sets or if you've watched the stuff on Netflix or other places about how Jerry Seinfeld builds up his bits where you look at how Chris Rock builds up his bits and all the I won't say grind, but all the work that they go through to get that built out, there's a lot to it. And what they've learned is same thing, cognitive load, cognitive drag. You've got you've to stay sharp and tight and simple and then go. It's the same thing applies here. The same thing applies in sales. The same thing applies in just about everything. And, and we seem to think like, well, but I've, I've got one shot. You've got one shot. If you make a big raise, then your, your sell at scale is bigger. And by the way, that's harder. And so I just, I thought it was, I thought it was worth putting out there. Plus, you know, it had Silicon Valley. So there you go. I thought that was kind of cool. Nicely done. Nicely done. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I'm going to flip back. So Tyler Shields, a uh, great guest on our program, uh, he tweeted this out and I, I picked it up. It's called, what do I do now? The startup life cycle. And the idea is you search, you build, you grow. And i tell you what, I loved it. Cause as I'm reading it, when you're searching, you're, tr- you're doing discovery and you're doing validation. And so you're talking to customers, right? And that's one of the things Frank just talked about. You're talking to customers. You're seeing if your idea is going to float you- and you're figuring out how to tweak it. And I- I've been pretty candid on this program uh, that I went from, hey, I've got this thing called Straight Talk. Let me tell you about all the features, which I, I know it was stupid, but I-, but I fell into the trap too. And then you say, okay, well, I can teach it to you. And then you say, okay, you know what? This is actually about helping teams. And now I'm at, I get security projects on stock. And I can show people. I just did. I had a great session today. You know the session where like it clicks and you watch people get it. That was today. Like today is a good day because I was working with a team and they got down to the brass tacks. We had straight talk and it was awesome. 
Cool. By the way, I'm pivoting. I, I've sent out some decks to people in the last two or three weeks, and they get back to me a week later, and I'm like, oh, my bad. I scrapped that. Um, that's done. I've already learned um, because I'm, I'm talking to enough people and getting that done. When you get here, and it says, right, by the way, most startups die here, right? Startups in search mode have little process and lots of do what it takes. Company size is typically less than 40 people, and it may have been funded with a seed round and or Series A. Yep. Yep. Especially if you're scaling. Like, if you've got more than 10 people, you're going to start to figure it out. Then, and so let's let's pick this up. So now what happens, and, and or Series A, yeah, not so much. Typically, by the time you get your Series A, now it's time to go build. Mm. The world just changed for you. Mm-hmm. Now, now you've got to be dialed in on it. So, and it's as you already said, how do I sell at scale? How do I build the company and sell at scale? By the way, how do I do both? And I've got a new board and I've got a new management team. And one of the things that you start realizing is, and they all have different experiences and they come from different places. Now that's awesome. But when I look at this in terms of straight talk, that's the leading cause for how we get stuck because we have different experiences and different approaches and different maturities and different backgrounds. And, and that creates friction because we're not sure how to reconcile them. Mm-hmm. And we certainly can't reconcile them at speed. I mean, well, actually, I can. But that's, that's something that we're not taught. You know, Frank made a comment about there's a lot of stuff you do as a startup, and you're like, well, I, I didn't learn that in school. Yeah. Uh, that's not a knock on anything. That's, yeah. In fact, I think what I've learned talking and working with customers in the last couple of weeks is the way that we do work today None of us were trained how to do this. Think about, Paul, tell me about your group projects in high school and college. You loved them, right? You were like, every time there's a group, I can't wait to be on it. Oh, I dreaded that moment. We Whenever the teacher hate- stands up and is like, so for this next project, we're going to sp- split up into groups. And you're like, oh, damn. Yeah. Okay, so what's, what's the future of our success today? Whether you're a startup or you're, you're in an enterprise today, it's all group work. All of it. But, you know, it's somewhat unfair, I think, especially at a college level, Michael, to speak to what you were speaking about, is they, and maybe this was just my program, but I feel like in a lot of programs, when they do exercises like that, there's no training about leadership, right, and how to enable other people in the group to participate, right? Like, they're just like, oh, yeah, just like split up into groups, but there's no guide about team interaction and how to enable people to achieve goals and motivate people. There's none of that. There's none of that. I don't put a lot of the feeds up, but do you, do you follow the Harvard Business Review blog stuff? Sometimes. There's going to be a story a day on that. Uh, you know, I'm probably being facetious. There's maybe mm. at least a story a week. That's because we, we don't know. And, and, and so this, I'm not knocking anybody or anything, but when people say to me, oh, you did that straight talk stuff because it was opportunistic. Hell no. I got into this purely because I just kept asking questions and I couldn't find answers. And I wanted to do something that was reproducible that I could explain. So I understood why it did or didn't work. Paul, we don't, we don't teach people that. You know why? Because we don't really know. Because we've never sat down and said, do we have friction in our communication? Yep, turns out we do. So, so to bring it back to this, what I think is interesting is that so now when you're in that build phase of a startup, and I'm going to say same thing if you're a security team. I talk to enterprises where they've got security teams of two or 300 people. Congratulations, you are definitely in the build phase or maybe you're in, in the higher phases and you're actually you know, growing and making it work and being part of the business. There's so many parallels here into figuring out how it all works out, and um, it's really, really tough. And so one of the things we're going to start looking at now, Paul, because Christian Slater, 
I think we should look at Christian Slater right after, right after I make this point, we're switching, is, is that it's going to be interesting now to see where we can assess a company is when we look at their funding round. So, because at this point said, look, venture-backed startups often have a Series C or Series D later rounds during their, their build phase. That makes sense now. I hadn't really, con- I hadn't connected the two together. But like we've talked about, like, wh- and it goes back to our last point. What's your strategy? Why do you need those people? How are they going to help you solve that problem? Or what do you need? So why are you going for that later round? There's a, there's a prediction of dilution. Cool. So what are you getting out of that? So I'm going to try to bring some more of this into our analysis as we do things. But um, Tyler didn't necessarily send it, but uh, I enjoyed his interview so much. I follow the stuff he does, and, and I picked this up off of him. Let's, let's talk about So you're a fan of Mr. Robot, right? I am. I, I thought to, that, I don't know, the most recent seasons kind of got lost a little bit. But anyway. I haven't. Yeah, I, I, I can't speak to it that much. I, as I've said to you before, I, the, the TV's out of the house. Uh, I did. I watched a movie on Amazon last night on my phone because uh, I couldn't get to sleep. And uh, I'll tell you about it later. But it was a good choice. Uh, but so I thought this was here's what I thought was interesting about this. This is why I put it up. So HP is now HP, right? So HP Enterprise is uh, they're they're trying to figure. I, my my take on it is they're trying to figure out who they are when they mm-hmm. grow up and, and what they want to be. Um, but they they got uh, Christian Slater uh, to do a new web series. But here's what I think is interesting, and this is the subcontent, the subheading. The first content work under the HP Studios banner signals a larger overall shift to make security a pillar of HP's brand identity. That's a radical change mm-hmm. for them. So they're connecting pop culture that I, th- I would argue has been widely supported and embraced by the security community. Correct. And they're, they're doing it with a very big budget, very big focus way of doing it to say, hey, we're involved in security. So, so you know, and, and I, further, further evidence to back up your point, Michael, is that HP's printer uh, division reached out to uh, myself and others in the security community uh, and to talk about what they're doing security-wise on printers. Now, unfortunately right. for HP, the conclusion of, of that activity, um, like the next couple of weeks, brought to light like this huge, huge printer <laughs> vulnerability that's probably the worst ever that we've ever seen. Um, so I, I, I don't want to say their efforts were wasted. I think it's good that HP is repositioning the security uh, aspect of their business in making it more of a focus. Um, if you've watched some of the ads with with Christian Slater, though, uh, it's it, they're kind of they're okay. I mean, they're kind of lame. It's you know, lame. I, I didn't. That's 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 the reason. I look, the thing I looked at was this because we're, so we're looking at startups, we're looking at security, right? And as we keep saying, there's the 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 venture side, there's the idea side, there's the enterprise side. Of course, there's consumer side, but that that's not really where most of us are going to spend our focus looking at this. And so I'm always trying to look at how these things are happening. So here we have an enterprise company looking at this. So if you're a startup today and you're going, I wonder if security matters to people, let me give you the short answer. Yes. Now, as you said before, Paul, does that mean that they know what you mean when you say security? No, probably not. So if you give them a list of features, like, well, we have a firewall and antivirus, that doesn't matter. What they want to know is, do you understand that they have needs and are you willing and able to protect those needs accordingly? HP is spending a, a ton of money on it. A number of years ago, I watched Dell, or prior to whatever they're called today, but uh, they were at Secure World. Paul, m- most of their day, they were talking about the word protect. Mm-hmm. It was in every single thing they did. They didn't say security. They, they didn't, That's they the didn't name say of their, con- their internal conference, too, is HP Protect. 
Okay. Well, not HP. This was Dell. Oh, okay. This was Dell doing this. Dell and, stole and it from t- HP, I guess. Well, so what I took from it was to say, there you go. If a company worth billions of dollars does the research and they come out and they say, we're going to use the word protect, and that works across the spectrum, then you can fight it and cry about it, or you can try it. Tell me how it works in your organization. So all I'm saying is I think there's stuff here to learn. If you're a startup, there's stuff to learn. If you're in the enterprise, there's stuff to learn. Um, I want to get to the five biggest struggles. We don't have to go deep into this, but I, this one caught my attention, and I'm so glad I read it. So we talked about the sale uh, of Invincia. I think we talked about the sale mm-hmm. of Invincia last week. We did. Uh, so what's interesting is I did not know the backstory, and it turns out that the Washington Post covered the backstory of it. And and here's how it worked: the, the guy was a uh, uh, let's see, uh, Anoop uh, was uh, he was a program manager at DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And he said, hey, I, I think there's a better thing to do here. And he said, you know, I wasn't really sure what I was able to do or how to make this work. And so and it says here, this is this is why I shared it. Conventional wisdom states that entrepreneurs go to angel investors to get capital to create a product. And while this approach works well in markets with ample risk capital, such as Silicon Valley, it wasn't uh, it's not usually successful in our region where capital is hard to find. I'm going to point out, I think that D.C. has more capital mm-hmm. uh, than than uh, a lot of other areas. But here's what he did. Mm-hmm. He joined uh, George Mason University as a research professor. So, that, by the way, doesn't this sound a little bit like what Frank was just mm-hmm. talking about? Sought out federal research and development funding. By the way, we've got a story about that coming up shortly. And then he used that. He advanced his vision. So, basically… He, he didn't get an angel investor. He went and got a gig that gave him uh, credibility and access and the, and the space to go do all these things. And there you go. Uh, he was able to go build something, and it, he turned it out, and he turned it around and sold it for a, a pretty impressive sum. Nice. Um, the reason I wanted to point that out is that we've, we've been pretty clear on our program that your, your exit strategy doesn't have to be an IPO. And that your mergers and acquisitions now, we're talking to enterprises that, you know, you've got two guys or two women in a garage sketching an idea on the back of a napkin. You're good. Come on yeah, in. Yeah, but like your entrance strategy, too, can can differ, and that's cool. And that's, yeah, that's what I was going to say is that there's no single path. And if right. you're creative enough and you got a good idea, you're good to go. Five biggest struggles. Um, man, I love this. Five biggest struggles as a first-time founder, constantly doubting yourself. Uh, I'm in my 40s now. I kicked this when I hit 40. Uh, it took about a year. Uh, I'm over it. I, and, I, and I was fortunate. I have a couple good friends, lifelong friends, that basically would listen to me and they would say, Michael, your instincts are good. I don't know why you're doubting yourself. You've got to stop. And they were in my head. I had three or four friends doing that to me pretty much almost on a daily basis. And a year later, I finally went, yeah, I'm okay. I've got good ideas. What the hell's wrong with me? But I just I read that and I went, oh, man, I've lived through that. Number two, hiring the right people. Uh, I have made this mistake. It's costly, so I've learned. Trying to make everybody happy. Yeah, bad idea. Don't do it. Not knowing what type of leader you are. I didn't spend a lot of time on this one because, uh, well, for obvious reasons, I spent time studying it. But in terms of being type of leaders, here's, here's what I would say. There's a real big difference between being an individual contributor and being a leader, right? And so, so if people haven't heard me say this before, when when we could do, Paul, we could do a whole program just on leadership, so we won't. It comes down to this. You lead people, you manage process, mm-hmm. you boss nobody. So when people say, oh, I manage people. No. Mm-mm. Well, at least you shouldn't. Right. Uh, you manage the process. You can manage the outcomes. You can manage obstacles out of their way so you can lead them to whatever that better tomorrow looks like. But what I will say is a lot of people, being an individual contributor is very different than being a, a, a leader of a team of other people, depending on you to craft a vision and elevate them to where they need to get to be. So 
that and then trusting your gut. How much do you do you trust your gut when you're when you're looking at the decisions, right? And you're a leader, and you've you've got you know a couple teams around you. How often does your gut factor into it versus how much are you evidence driven and and more cool and methodical? Yeah, there's. I don't know if I could put a specific like uh, percentage or, or give me, whatever. Give me but, a gut shot on this one. Use your gut. Answer yeah. it that way. <laughs> but there are times, uh, and it's somewhat uh, sporadic when it happens that you're like. No matter how long I analyze the data and do analytical things, I got to make this decision with, you know, based on my gut. And I hate, I hate, you know, being a computer background, right? Like I hate being in that position. Like I want to write a program and analyze data to make decisions. Um, and you're just, you're forced sometimes to, to, to trust your gut and, and hopefully you're right. Uh, I don't particularly like being in that, in that situation. I think there's always data that you can collect to support that. Uh, but you know, sometimes you got to go with your gut and I, I think you should trust it. You know, I, it kind of ties into doubting yourself, uh, or not doubting yourself. Right. I've always loved the quote, uh, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. Like, yes. and, and it's attributed to so many people. So we'll just, we'll leave it at that high level, but man, success is I, going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was a Churchill quote, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. all right. So, so here's the notes of, of interest. Um, CB Insights did a report, the uh, 2016 cybersecurity recap deals hit a record high, but activity slows. And then they said, hey, you know what? We've got some new unicorns. Silence got the $100 million Series D round in June. Uh, and then they, they gave us four. And it's what's kind of funny is, so 2015, four cybersecurity unicorns emerged. Illumio, I got to be honest, I haven't looked at them. Uh, Okta, I'm aware of who they are. I haven't yep. looked at them. I've looked at Okta, uh, yeah. Is it Tanium? Tanium, yeah. Looked at yeah, tanium. okay, so I don't know. And then Zscaler. And what's funny is I, I Zscalers, I've known about them for so long that I actually didn't see them as a startup, but apparently yeah. they are, and uh, and they're unicorns. So I, I, I'll i dig deeper into them, uh, and we'll take a look at it. But um, I, I got to tell you, uh, their stuff is expensive, so it's not anything I can subscribe to. But CB Insights puts out some really good quality stuff, and uh, I'm going to start digging into that for some ideas. In fact, I, if I didn't send it to you yet, Paul... Um, They've got a whole list of like startups worth looking at stuff. I, I think yeah, I, I haven't looked at that list yet. Look at. So I will okay. definitely. All right. So Yahoo, uh, it's funny because I, I'm the person who's railed against dragging all these companies out as often as we've dragged them out. But I'm also the first one to admit if there's something there, there's something there. So um, at the risk of, of sounding uh, more negative than usual, uh, I think our industry has been waiting for that watershed moment where you can say, see, told you, told you. Well, um, it, yeah. So Yahoo, unfortunately is playing that role for us. Uh, it turns out that, uh, they've, they've botched uh, their handling of a couple breaches, maybe kind of forgot to disclose them. And, uh, so that's getting them to a little bit of problems with a number of people. And so we talked about last week, that was like a quarter of a million dollar, I'm sorry, quarter of a billion dollar discount mm-hmm. on their, uh, on their acquisition. And I was quick to cautious and say, you know, I'm not sure how much that is actually just due to the security breach versus opportunistic looking at leverage and, and a way to do it. Here's what I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come off that a little bit and say, yeah, except for now the SEC is involved or whoever is investigating it. And then the news came out this week that Marissa Meyer lost her bonus and lost her stock award. And the board was very Did clear. She, it now, was because she's quoted publicly as saying that she gave it back to the hardworking people at Yahoo. Is that well, is that the, just the, qu- the quote that I read was it, it, and again, right? So the quote that I read, let me pull it up so I get it right. Um, 
However, I am the CEO of the company, and since this incident happened during my tenure, I have agreed to forego my annual bonus and my annual equity grant this year and have expressed my desire that my bonus be redistributed to our company's hardworking employees who contributed so much to Yahoo's success in 2016. Ah, okay. So since since we're going to be straight talking this for a second, board basically said, you screwed up. We're not firing you, or we can't fire you. They've got the double golden handcuffs. Whoever negotiated this at Yahoo is freaking brilliant. Nice. So she's stuck. Uh, they're, they're stuck with her, uh, however that works out. But you know, I've agreed to forego my annual bonus. That's like when, like when you get fired and you're like, we've, we've, we've parted ways. Yeah, yeah okay. I she didn't you. have a choice on that. Okay. And all she's trying to do now is spin it and say, right. you know what, then? Instead of giving me the millions, uh, why don't we distribute them out to everybody else and they can right. all get a cup of coffee on me type of thing. It, it's it's a smart way to handle uh, an otherwise crappy situation, but yep. uh, that's all it was. So I just want to come back and say, you know, when you when, not you, Paul, but collectively as as a listener and then somebody engages with us, if I hear you quote Target, Home Depot, um, uh, Sony Pictures, or something else, I go see. That's an example right there. No, it's not. Those are very clear, almost always air I have, cover. I have a different example, Michael. Um, super, What's your example? Super Micro uh, shipped servers to Apple. Uh, it wasn't disclosed how many or what the amount was. Uh, Apple actually discovered internally that the firmware on those servers was infected with some kind of malware, shipped them back, and reportedly uh, severed ties with Super Micro, severed their agreement with them. That's I would pretty- like to hear... Uh, so, if, yeah, I mean, that sounds good. And, and even if that's folklore kick-ass story to use right like yeah. well like, i mean you I, know I would, apple apple's very cagey about what details they release so great a yeah, lot of I the don't... details came from super micro that said yeah this is what happened and apple severed their severed their agreement with us it's really not in super micro's best interest to say like one of our largest customers just severed business ties with us but they did in in full disclosure apple is of course, probably whispers right because like because yeah. if you're in that community we always know there's right. there's a small group of people that whisper so they had to get in front of it but you right. know what here's what i love about that that's although it sounds negative it, it, that's a positive story. You're not saying somebody screwed up security and they got fired and they got paid, paid all this money and, and so you go all, all got to pay attention to it. It went the other way around and somebody said, hey, we, we did our diligence. It wasn't right. We shipped it back. We're done. We can't trust you. Right. Yeah, that's that's what we're seeing happening. Now, yeah. now uh, also on the positive side, props to Apple for discovering it before it got too entrenched yes. in their network. I think the negative side is I would have liked to see more information from Apple and Supermicro about the details of the attack so that the rest of the world can go check their servers to make sure that we don't have the same yeah, uh, vulnerability okay, so in, the, in the interest of kind of open source disclosure. That's, but. that's, a, that's, a, that's a fair point. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's something we can keep looking at. Here's the point I want to make in this one because I think it's relevant for startups. Um, so let me just do this. Right. If you're going to use an example like this, please be careful when you use the example. Mm. This is not the largesse of, <laughs> let me prove it. This is a one-time thing so far, um, but I think it's fairly credible that you can use this. Here's what matters. The board got involved. The board is paying attention. Right. The board, Because keep in mind, if you're on a board, if you're on a public board, you have a fiduciary responsibility. As a director, you're liable. So if the SEC is coming in, that board is liable. And, and they do not like that pressure. Well, and, and I so think a, a segue into the falconry story that you had in here where they got a $5.3 million in equity and they predict operating and performance conditions. We saw the, recently this past week that S3 had some issues. Yeah. We saw okay. the Cloudflare 
uh, vulnerability. So companies that are predicting operating and performance conditions in the cloud are excited. <laughs> Right, but back to your point, Michael. Be careful how you use those examples. If you're a startup that's that's doing this, if you're oh, a startup, yeah, right, that could help an organization that has a big cloud deployment and suffered because of the S3 outage or the Cloudflare um, uh, syntax error or whatever it was that leaked memory. Um, <clears throat> just be careful how you structure your story. You don't want to be I accused, think it's a good point. especially yeah. in security. You don't want to be accused of spreading FUD. So. Look, I can tell you what, if, if, if I get a pitch and it's like, S3 went down, we could have prevented it, delete, I, yep. I don't really care. Yep. But if somebody reaches out to me and they go, hey, the thing that happens at S3 happens at organizations all over the place, and you know what? Because I'm, I'm also tired of blaming people. I, I'm clear on that. People know how I feel. I, I don't hide my opinions on that. But if somebody comes out and I said, look, these things happen. And we help get ahead of that. We help. Oh, I, you know what? I'm, I'm willing to interest because you're going to start with, hey, we, we still need people. It works out. Here's why I picked up Falconry. I'm, I, Paul, <clears throat> you turned me on the Owler, uh, and I love it. And if, if you're out there and you're following stuff and you think there's things we should take a look at, it's great. So they, they focus on unplanned downtime. So what's interesting is they're not what I would call a pure play security product. But I, but I, I was just interested in enough to go. Let me go take a look at what they do. And if you go hover over their solutions, they have pattern recognition for IoT. They have pattern recognition for Splunk. We talk about that a lot in mm -hmm. security. We have pattern recognition for IT operations. And they help you handle unplanned downtime. I went, oh, those are security companies. Mm -hmm. I mean, what have we what have we talked about with our, our guests recently? The, the more you can use data and intelligence to get where you need to be, the better off. Absolutely. All right, light cyber. So Palo Alto is lightening up with light cyber, $105 million. So what I looked at, so they raised a total of $31.5 million, and I've got to get better now. Their last round was $20 million. I do not know what the valuation on that was. Mm -hmm. um, it feels like this is probably, based on what we started to see with other deals, this is about in line. This, this, now, yeah. if you're listening and you're throwing something at, at your computer screen or, or your radio right now saying, no, it's wrong, good, correct us. I, trust me. I will learn this a lot better. Um, for those, for those that uh, John Strand had, I think, the best take on this story when we covered it. Uh, we also covered this on, on Enterprise Security Weekly. Uh, basically, John said, look, Cisco is catching up in the security department. And I think one of the things John didn't yeah. mention was Cisco had that big layoff that we covered. And um, they're refocusing much like HP uh, that you pointed out, Michael, on security. And I think if you follow Palo Alto's stock, like Palo Alto's kind of like shitting a brick <laughs> and going, yeah. uh-oh, we better go acquire a security company. And like Cyber, I, from what I've heard, makes a, a decent product. If you have experience with that or, you know, let us know. We, we love uh, feedback from our listeners Well, and, uh, if, on and that. it fits from the Palo Alto side, right? So I'm doing, I'm looking at yeah. performance. I'm looking at machine learning. Uh, or no, my uh, bad. Light, light uh, Cyber is uh, Yeah, I, network. I was reading the wrong line. Yeah, and that's okay. Light Cyber is actually a direct competitor to offensive countermeasures, the startup that John and I have. Uh, they're probably the closest one in terms of network behavior analysis for uh, security threats. So uh, I think that falls so, in line know, with Palo Alto's that's product. That's actually a little bit validating for you then. So if a That's company exactly what I said to John. I'm like, John, this is a good thing for us, right? Like we're that's in the right space. That's a great thing for you because, yeah. you, listen, what I, I, I did a, a, a thought process the other day, and then this, this it all ties into it. And I started looking at it. So I told you. I started trying to think about, like, you know, um, my focus more and more is working with those startups that are stuck, right? And because mm -hmm. because I love what we do, and and there's a lot of reasons that it all works. And if people are interested, I'm happy to talk about it. But here's the thing that's interesting. Then 
you start looking at this and you go, okay, well, how many unicorns are there in security? And uh, there's like a dozen or two dozen. I, I couldn't list them all, so I, I need to do a better job there. But what's interesting is, to your point, Palo Alto's got to be looking at this going, how's that fire eye stock working out right now? You know, and, 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 you know, what did we see with CrowdStrike? I, you know, their their public spat with NSS is going to be interesting, but I don't think it went well for them. And most of the headlines I'm reading say it didn't go well for them. You know, and, and Silence jumped into the fray. I'm going to be curious to see how this goes for them. And, you know, and the, the rest of it is you look at a lot of these high-flying technologies. Are they sexy? Awesome. Yeah, they're great. And, you know, Jack Daniel's not here, so we can't do our regular chip and pin discussion. But, um, you know, quell surprise at all the people saying now saying, Oh, well, fraud's, uh, you know, up and on the increase. Right. Chip and pin is sexy, but but it didn't solve the problems we're trying to solve. So I think that looking at acquisitions like this, uh, the, let's see how they do with the integration of it. Let's see how mm. they use it. Right. Let's see what that looks like. Uh, mm. This could be brilliant or this this could be uh, not so brilliant. Um, Bastille. So this is the one I thought was interesting. I. And I've, I've heard the name. I've not looked at it. I'm really interested now. So I, I thought it was interesting because I see the, the headline comes across and it says, Bastille just raised uh, 196.8K. And I'm like, that's the oddly specific number. <laughs> and it's under a million. Wait, what? Yeah. Let me go take after, a look at this. I, after I read this, there actually are a lot of grants available that we've covered on the show for IoT uh, security. I don't think the one that I covered last year was a DHS grant. might have been a different... Uh, a different grant, but the government is you know, issuing money for IoT security, which is, I think, interesting and a good thing. Well, you know, it's interesting, too. I, I told you I was at a startup event, I don't know, last week, maybe it was two weeks ago. My brain is not working well these days. And I was talking about innovation in cybersecurity and a bunch of big brain people around. So it came to me afterwards and they said, you know what I'd love to see? Uh, and I, don't, I didn't have permission to use his name, but what he said is... Uh, he under he understands my desire to not have to regulate or overrate overregulate everything. He said, "Why can't the government then go create a common standard and go create a common platform and just make it free and give it to everybody and say, here, build on this?" And then here I am a week later saying, "Oh well, we have a DHS grant that said go go take a look at what we know and where there's problems and what we need to do to fix it." Oh well, maybe we're on the right path. So I th- I thought that was interesting, and the other thing I was going to point out is they have like. 13 to 15 million dollars in funding already so you can get grants that, so what we've covered so far today you can get a grant to get started you can work at a university and get a grant to get started you can get angel funding you can bootstrap you can productize a service um oh by the way you can also then when you're funded already still apply for grants to solve problems that get your name in the press that give you some money to go focus on something that probably helps you and a lot of other people too so gosh there's there's just a ton of stuff happening, and I think it's all good and exciting. I agree. Startup journey, Michael. Um, it's been a great week, man. I, I have been pivoting, 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 um, and I'm done. Like I, 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 you know, you get to that point where you have the conversation enough, and you're like, oh, "That sounds good. That sounds good to me." But you're listening to people get excited and and mm-hmm. start to push faster, and you're like, "All right, cool." I'm going to be rebuilding the website. The hope is as quick as this weekend, uh, I'm going to streamline it. I've been I've been on this cognitive load kick. I looked at my own website and I went, well, I, I held off on this for the longest time. Simple thing. Would it be better for me to go build the deck and have conversations and figure out what I'm doing and sell deals? Or would it be better for me to go work on a website? And up until now, the answer has been refine your pitch, mm-hmm. build your deck, deliver services. The last two weeks, I've gotten a lot of that's not what your website says. Oh, this is great. I love this. Uh, but how come that's not what your website says? Okay. We're at the point now where that's it's time good. to do a little pivot, 
And uh, I'm a little stressed because I, I really don't want to work this weekend, but we're going to get that done. Um, I've also narrowed and my addressable I, market. And I hate working on websites. <laughs> yeah, no, right? Like, like yeah, if you, if you really make do. me snappy, uh, <laughs> websites, of, uh, you know, and or let me go play with um, CRM systems, but I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. going there today. The other thing I've learned, um, we'll talk more about this, and we're going to start asking uh, our guests about this. It's addressable market. So, like, if we look at straight talk, and, and what I'm able to do now is I can go in and I can help you both diagnose why your project is stuck. Notice I'm not focusing on people. Yes, you can interpret to people. Why is your project stuck, and how do you get it unstuck before before it's too late? And then, of course, how do you avoid getting stuck again? Okay, well, out of the Fortune 5000, um, I think it's probably safe to say there's like, what, 10, 12 stuck projects at each of those companies? Cool. That's not my addressable market. No way. I can't mm. go after that. If you break it down and just go, well, let's just go security projects. It's still too big. So what I'm starting to take a look at, and if you're listening, I would love your feedback on where to focus. I'm thinking identity is a play. Um, I'm, I'm looking at what I'm calling this one risk model. I'm hearing a lot of people talk about, you know, you can't have enterprise risk, which is separate from your security risk, which is separate from your insurance risk, which we've got to figure out how to, uh, I'm looking at things where we've got to bring different groups of people together to solve those problems. And then as I'm looking at, uh, trying to define the problem set, what I'm realizing is that then there's a number of startups that are in that post series a struggling to get to series B they're stuck because they've got all the same types of issues internally that I can fix and help them get traction externally to connect them to the enterprises that want to solve the exact same problems. And, whoa, I think I've figured out where I can go sit comfortably and really make a difference in this industry and, you know, pay the bills. So I'm pretty jazzed. Nice. But I'll send you the list. I'd, I'd love your feedback on it at some point because I've... Absolutely. Dude, my head is, is going sideways. How about you guys? Good? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, what I was saying before about kind of honing some of your, your pitch in, in sales decks and, and having some different materials there I think is interesting. You know what's kind of funny? Have you ever seen the uh, the guy that's obviously some kind of like professional trainer or speaker, and he draws the X, Y axis, and um, it's the, the hot and the crazy scale? Yeah. You ever see that? Like that's all. Like now, leadership and communication, right? You must have watched that and been like, "Wow, like that." that I mean, it's a, a very funny, <laughs> tongue-in-cheek topic. Obviously, yeah. not very yeah. politically correct. Although I did hear they did it in the opposite order, like you know, the guy, the guy won for for women. Um, but I thought the way that that was communicated was was really powerful, and I'm kind of like using those visual aids. I talked about how John had a great visual aid for some of the technology, and I think uh, we're kind of honing our messaging. Uh, to be like that, and that's that's one of the goals. Uh, also, and, new, and if yeah, I was just say keep doing it. That's that's awesome. Yeah, and you know, new interface uh, is coming up. Working on the open source one, but also uh, latest iteration of the the web interface is uh, being reviewed right now. So that's exciting as well. That's awesome. That's really cool. No, and you're right. Like with me, um, I've found now that, and one of the things I always tell people about straight talk is it's not about being right; it's about getting to the right place. I love the feedback I get from people, and I take notes, and there's a lot of times now. I find, Paul, the more that I single task, the less I can multitask. So I'm like, hold on a second. I'm going to be quiet. I'm writing that down. <laughs> and, right. I, you know, and I, I jot down these ideas. But um, it takes time. I'm like, if I think about ways I explained stuff just even six months ago, six weeks ago versus now, oh, now it's so much better. But I, I'm, I'm working on this every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm stable for a while. And I'm going to go get everything updated, and then I'm, I promise you it'll, it'll change again. So, And we'll be back next week. we got more exciting guests, and, and we're going to keep legitimizing security in a startup community and a startup mindset in the security community.
Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for watching this edition of Startup Security Weekly. We'll see everyone next week.